Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. And here we are once again inside the hive. I'm Joe Hagan. I am here with Emily, Emily Jane, Jane Fox. Fox. I like that. Echo, echo, echo. Uh-huh. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening whenever you're listening to this. We have a super spreader who's now in the Oval Office because he refuses to confine himself to even their residence. But so much has happened since we last recorded Joe. I feel like we kind of owed it to ourselves and to anyone listening to have maybe like recorded something on Friday evening because our our podcast was recorded last Thursday all hell broke loose pretty much right after we recorded but to have recorded a special episode on Friday evening or whenever it would have been wouldn't have wouldn't have mattered because every day has been a year in the last week so much has happened every three hours on the three hours so here we are recording something again that I wonder if it will hold until this afternoon, but we will try. The only relevant thing uh, from our conversation of last week uh, was uh, my comment that we were at the top of the roller coaster and about mm. to go down. How true it was. And we continue to go flying down. Now, this, the COVID blow up in the White House is uh, we watched the debate this week, Kamala Harris, Mike Pence, there were these plexiglass windows between them. They seemed very effective, didn't they? I could not believe that Kamala Harris showed the restraint she did and not just saying, hey, look right here all around me. Why, Why are these here? There's a reason. This guy might have COVID. This entire White House has basically turned itself into some kind of like cautionary tale from the Bible, right? I mean, this is like the thing we said doesn't exist and our whole policy of not dealing with it has finally reached the center of the seat of power. It feels like it would be like the reject book of the Bible where it was like, <laughs> those guys just lost the thread. Like it just became, they were just yeah. like tired. Yeah. They the, couldn't, yeah, they couldn't get it Too together. obvious. Too obvious. Truly, this story is just too. It would be cast out of the Bible as like, yeah, they're like the low edit, point. Cut. Yeah, yeah exactly. Totally. But it does feel pretty divine if you think about it. Um, it seems as though a portion of this, outbreak in the West Wing stems from the super spreader event that we now know was uh, on the White House lawn for, for the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett for the Supreme Court seat held by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It just feels like a little convenient that a an icon passes away and then the person who is nominated to replace her, who essentially goes against much of what she stood for and fought for for her entire life and career. 
I'm just saying it feels like there's something, some divine poetry at work there. It's, uh, you know, people have been talking a lot about the writer's room. This is a joke that you see around social media and, you know, that they wouldn't even write a story like this because, again, it's implausible on its face. And the latest uh, turn of the screw in in, in Trump's um, nightmarish reality show that he's converted our country into is that he's now saying that he... He might have caught the coronavirus from the Gold Star families with who he met with. It really week. is full circle because uh, four years ago, I guess maybe four years and change ago, during a different presidential campaign, he got into another tiff with Gold Star families, basically um, a, a Gold Star family spoke at the Democratic National Convention to nominate Hillary Clinton, and he attacked a Gold Star family then. He's now blaming his COVID infection on other Gold Star families. What a disgrace. Suckers and losers. Suckers and losers. And, and, and I just want to, for a moment, he he spoke with uh, Maria Bartiromo uh, on, on Fox this morning, and I just want to read you the quote because it's just, it's worth um, absorbing for a minute. He's talking about meeting with them. They come within an inch of my face sometimes. They want to hug me, and they want to kiss me, and they do. And frankly, I'm not telling them back up, even though it's a dangerous thing, I guess, if you go by the COVID thing. (laughs) If you go by the COVID thing, first of all, there's so much in there, you know, that they, but first of all, that he's so beloved uh, by the suckers and losers, that they want to get next to him and hug and kiss him. It it just boggles the mind. I'm sorry. I just have to, I sit there with a quote like this. And again, I have to slap myself, pinch myself, wonder how did we arrive to this moment? How is this man president? I know this is a question we've asked ourselves repeatedly for the last four years, but it it has, it's the fresh hell of it is daily. And of course, that's all concentrating and ex- and multiplying as we head towards November 3rd. Well, what's interesting... I digress. I mean, yes to everything you just said. Uh, what's interesting to me is we are living in obviously what feels like our worst nightmare in the nation's collective worst nightmare. But this is really President Trump's worst nightmare. Here's why. We started last week with a bombshell story in the New York Times about the president's taxes or lack of taxes uh, that really was probably the clearest, deepest dive into his financial situation that I think, I don't know how damaging it would have been to his presidential campaign, but I think it was very personally damaging to him. He has spent his entire life building up a myth around his personal wealth, his family's wealth, and his business acumen. And that New York Times story was a pin in that balloon that he's been blowing up for the last 74 years. So I think that that is like, it really hits him in his soft Solar plexus. Exactly. And then you have this COVID diagnosis. And the only thing that the president is as sensitive about than his finances is his health. That's it. The two of those things are the two most guarded things in the family Trump. And to have them both happen within five days of each other is just 
it's unthinkable. It is, it is exactly the thing that he has been guarding against his entire career, his entire presidency. And I think that what you're seeing, I mean, we've obviously seen in the last few days since the president returned, I don't want to say he was released from the hospital because really what happened was he was transferred from Walter Reed to his in-home hospital. Right. He's turned the White House into a kind of uh, hot zone mash unit. So it's really a de facto hospital at this point. Well, sure. But there is actually a hospital, a medical unit in his home. So it is a de facto hospital, but it is an actual hospital as well. And I don't want to lose sight of that because uh, so many people were saying, well, I guess he was released and I guess he's he, they wouldn't release him from the hospital if he wasn't fine enough. I don't want to speculate about the president's health, but I just do want to note that it's not as if when when normal people go to the hospital and get released, they are released to a home that is not a hospital setting. When the president is released from a hospital, he is released to another hospital setting. So I just right, right. want to make that you clear. Know, when you say hospital, you're talking about physical med- medical treatment. But watching the explosion of rage tweeting by the president over the last 48 hours has really brought me to a place where I haven't fully wanted to go, but now I'm beginning to be willing to go, which is like, what is the mental situation of this man? I mean, nobody around him is willing, you know, we think of him as canny and he's crazy like a fox and you want to accept that he's just a, you know, a gut kind of genius at stirring up the pot and distracting people from things and so on and so forth. But he seems genuinely, and probably because of the things you just mentioned, the taxes, the the physical you know, it's like a one-two punch. To Plus the roid core. rage. Plus the Plus steroids. Plus roid rage. I mean, he seems like in normal circumstances, if we've, which we haven't been in for several years, but we would transfer power for a moment. And he's he's lost his mind. And the the unbelievable thing about it is, is that the GOP and Mike Pence, they are willing to continue to prop it up. I mean, I just, it boggles my mind. Joe, how is the, your mind still boggled by this? Have you, have you, has I know you haven't been asleep for the last continu- five years. It's, it's not ceased to be boggled. Okay, that's good. Um, but it is on a, um, the, it's vibrating, the boggling is vibrating at a higher boggle. Well, I will say, I like that. Um, I will say that um, it's my reporting that the president's eldest child, uh, Donald Trump Jr., has has said recently and and not so recently that uh, the thing that bothers him most is that his father is surrounded by yes people, that uh, the the people closest to him in Washington are are yes men, and that that is the biggest detriment to his campaign. And I I think that that's true. I think that th- there is no one around President Trump who can say no, who can say back off the gas, pump the brakes, you're being insane. And I think that that's obviously by design. That's why we've seen so many people cycle in and out of that building because he only wants to be surrounded by yes people. Um, right. But but that is what's happening there. You have no guardrails because he's fired all of them or they've willingly walked out of the building. Um, right. One thing that I think was a particularly interesting reporting uh, late this week on Thursday, NBC News had a story that 
President Trump had asked doctors at Walter Reed Medical Hospital in 2019. Remember he had that crazy visit to Walter Reed that we don't know much about? Right. So he asked the doctors in 2019 to sign non-disclosure agreements, which is very unusual. Uh, it's a very unusual thing to ask doctors. Um, I think that this gets at the point of extreme secrecy around his health. It gets to the point of asking your doctors to do weird, obsequious things because he's the president. And what it brings to my mind is how valuable the reporting has been over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that we wouldn't have known about the president's health if not for incredible reporting about Hope Hicks uh, from Bloomberg News. The White House over the last three and a half years in the Trump campaign for the last five years has intentionally obfuscated and lied and hidden every bit of actual truth. And when reporters confront them with actual truth, have lied about it to their faces to the point where we cannot trust a single word that comes out of the White House. And it's incredibly frustrating as a reporter who covers the White House to not know that when I call asking to confirm a story that I believe to be adequately and accurately sourced, to not know if I'm going to get a truth out of people who work for us. The White House works for the American people. And to not be able to trust anything out of their mouths is it's stunning and it's disheartening and it makes it really hard to do our jobs and get the truth out there. But this is a matter of obviously of national import of international relevance. It's a national security issue. It's an issue that impacts markets and the economy. And we almost, I would, I would say I would bet my life on the fact that the white house would not come out and said this if not being pressed by reporters. And and over the last week, I think that we have seen in a very clear way that we've seen so many reporters break incredible news, but we've also seen a lot of people on Twitter sort of wildly speculating about the state of the president's health and about things that are happening in the White House right now. And that speculation, I would say, is abnormal. It feels a lot of times irresponsible. But it is a result of the climate that the president right. and his administration have perpetuated since they took office. If you don't know that you're going to be told the truth by this administration, if you think that they are purposely hiding information because that's what they have done over the last four years, then when the stakes are this high, of course you think that they're going to be purposely hiding information. It's like when you're in a a bad relationship and someone has lied to you throughout that relationship, you're going to start assuming that they're going to lie to you about everything because once you lie about anything, it's easy to believe that you could lie about everything. Well, and they fomented a culture of conspiracy. I mean, like conspiracy theories are the coin of the realm in, in Trump land. This is Inside the Hive. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. 
Derek Hamilton was put away for murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They could go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden starting March 19th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. You know, just this morning, as we record this, the president is now saying that this drug he took is a cure. It's a cure for COVID. I mean, that is just, not only is it just, it's not merely a lie. It is a dangerous lie and a cynical lie. In fact, I was, I'm, I'm sitting here waiting, uh, looking at the news, waiting for this company to issue a statement and say, hey, this isn't true um, because- it's absurd. I hope it's true. I mean, uh, it's so funny because uh, I don't know if you've experienced this, but in the last week, my phone has never buzzed more. Mm-hmm. And I, I've experienced that a lot over the last five years where um, obviously it's a lot of source talk, but it's a lot of uh, normal people in my life every hour are texting me asking what I'm hearing. And, and, in times where it's been similar to this, it's never quite reached this level before, but in times where it's been similar to this, um, it can be a little overwhelming because, um, you know, you're just trying to keep your head down and do your job. And uh, when you get 50 texts every hour saying, what are you hearing? It's, it's overwhelming. But I take a step back in those moments and I think how lucky we are to have access to information that the normal public does not yeah. have access to and and I what it really does is it lets me gut check and say like people are fucking scared right these yeah, issues there's, are there's, so big the and- information vacuum is is uh full it just fills with anxiety and terror exactly right and I feel responsibility because I can understand if you're not in the privileged position that we are in to have access to the people directly to ask these questions, how scary it must be. And so I feel sort of a responsibility to help fill that for people and to respond to people with mm-hmm. what I'm hearing. And I obviously make a caveat to this could change or these are just the rumors that are swirling around. And and 99% of the time, they're not things that I would report because the bar is much higher to put pen to paper than to just you know gossip to my mom. Um, but, but, you know, the, the stakes here are so high and the, the, the vacuum, as you said, is just so vast and it, it's really given me pause this last week to think, um, we are in such uncharted waters and there's so much anxiety about where we are and it makes you really hunger for a time when you can just trust the people who are the most powerful people in this country to look people in the white house have obfuscated things since the day that place was built and, and before then. 
Uh, that is the nature of the beast a little bit, that, that you don't know the full picture of what is going on within the West Wing because certain things need to be protected from the American public. Presidents have not been forthcoming about their health before. This is not the first time. But there is a true undercurrent of lack of truth, lack of transparency that has fomented a climate in this country of just complete and utter terror about what is going on behind those walls. And what a shame. It didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. But let's talk about the effect of all of this. Now, you know that I'm the uh, sort of de facto optimist uh, around here. So I'm going to offer a couple of little pinpricks of light through the darkness that I see. First of all, uh, I talked about this on, on Twitter this week, and I got a lot of interesting response from it. I've talked about my parents on this uh, mm. podcast before, both Trump voters of 2016. And I found out yesterday from my dad, who was uh, kind of reluctant to tell me, but finally did. He said that he, they live in North Carolina. They both voted early, and they decided they couldn't vote for Trump again. And as I said, also said is that, you know, polling, I don't know if I can trust polling and I don't put a lot of weight into it. You know, we've been through that circus before. But when I hear that, that my own parents who have been hardcore Republican voters, especially my dad for years, his whole life, really, since Reagan, can't pull the lever for Trump. Mm. That is a gut check moment for me. That is what, a gut did check you, moment for me. Now, in this moment, I would imagine yeah. it's pretty delicate. Very delicate. Do you ask? I didn't press too hard after exactly. that. No, I was like, I don't even want to know what you did instead or what this you know, circuitous thinking was. Do you I, just send do, him like a really beautiful picture of your girls at that point and just, like, just said, butter him up? I said, I'm going to read this to your granddaughters, and they are going to be very happy to hear this. Mm. And, and oh, by the way, you might get more access to them now. So, you know, I think also that I – but a little investigative reporting in my family, which is a delicate thing. It's as delicate as any kind of investigative reporting. Totally. I, I learned that my mom had a big influence in this. Mm. That, uh, you know, this – their votes for Trump had a huge divisive impact on my family. I have two sisters. They could barely speak to my parents for the last three years because wow. of this. And, you know, they're still pretty furious about it. But uh, I think that, you know, we're look at the polls. You see the white men are still pro-Trump in the polls, Right. By you know by a few percentage points over Biden, but women by a huge margin uh, are you know for Biden over Trump, right? Mm. And you have to think that there's a lot of this going on in the country right now. Where how much more of this noise can you take? You're exhausted by not knowing what is going on and by the misinformation, and just by the fact that everybody feels like they have to pay attention to it, mm. right? And I think, uh, you know, Jennifer Palmieri, who was the communications for Hillary, she responded to my uh, sort of, you know, personal press release there saying, you know, I remember in 92 when my uh, father, a retired military guy, 
uh, said he was going to vote for Clinton over George H.W. Bush, that was a sign to me. That was a gut check moment that meant more than polls. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have somebody like this in their life that you use as a kind of like, you know, um, bellwether, right? Um, and that for me, that was my bellwether. And that gave me a, that was a, to me, you know, for me, it was a tectonic shift in the way I viewed this entire election. That's huge. I had a moment like that in the last two weeks. Um, my whole family lives in Pennsylvania in the suburbs of Philadelphia, which is a very important area. Yes. Um, yes. My, I talked about my grandmother last week on the podcast with Valerie Jarrett. And um, my grandmother is a Democrat. And my grandfather... I don't know what he's registered as, but I would say he leans towards a Republican. And um, their their apartment is divided right now. When they were watching the debates last week, my grandmother was watching in one room and my grandfather was watching in another. And uh, I try not to talk politics with them because it can get uh, frustrated and heating. And I like... I like my relationship with my grandparents to stay as light as it can possibly stay. I value and love them so much and I would like to stay that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, but not every member of my family separates it. And my niece who is 10 years old is incredibly aware and smart and persuasive. And Mm -hmm. she picked up the phone to her great grandfather and said, I want to talk to you about why I want you to vote for Joe Biden and gave a, an impassioned plea and he vowed to her to vote for Joe Biden at the polls. And that is fantastic. You know, (laughs) if Trump is going to turn politics into a zero sum game, we should be able to use the children. It, It really, I mean, it made me so proud regardless of who it was that my niece is my dream girl and that she would use this moment to learn so much about politics, to be able to form an argument, and then be able to call up her great-grandfather, which is an amazing thing in and of itself, but, but be able to call him and talk politics with him and, and persuade someone is really an incredible moment, and it feels like, to me, it's like everything I could want in a story. Um, but I think that, you know, my grandfather is obviously not, indicative of everything your father is not indicative of everything but we've seen particularly in the the days since the debate and the polling that has come out since the debate the wary of polls as we are seniors are fleeing president trump and heading towards joe biden and that is the thing that seems to matter the most in the last weeks towards the election i think that seniors are completely put off by the the bullying display that we saw in the debate, and then the COVID response and the attitude towards coronavirus that we're seeing out of the president over the last few months, but particularly over the last week since he has come down with uh, the virus, that is not going to sit well with older Americans who are completely terrified to leave their homes to vote in November. Think think towards Thanksgiving, because my family, we're starting to talk about Thanksgiving right now. Who feels comfortable enough to be at a table with multiple el- elderly relatives, right? I mean, who feels mm-hmm. comfortable enough to travel, period? And then is everyone going to quarantine for six days and try and get a test before they're sitting around 
the dinner table with their family. So these issues are top of mind for people. What the president's diagnosis last week does, I think, is it makes it impossible for every conversation about the election to not revolve around coronavirus because he himself, the most protected man in the country who has access to every bit of information, every test, every viable health option. He could not protect himself. He could not protect his wife. He could not protect his staffers. He could not protect his family. If he can't protect himself and the people around him with every resource, how could you possibly trust this man to protect you and your family? Right? Right. That is going to be top of mind for everyone for the next few weeks leading up to the election. And if that is the conversation, I don't understand how people could vote for him. I just don't understand it. How are you, especially early voting, how are you going to the voting booth this week and pulling the lever for, for, for Donald Trump? I, right. I, I, I guess I could understand in a normal week, I could tell you the, the list of five things that people would be thinking about when they were pulling the lever for Trump or writing him in on their mail-in ballots. I could, I could intellectually understand the arguments for it. I don't understand how just from a physical safety perspective, how you could feel comfortable making that choice right now. This is Inside the Hive. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. And it's not just that it can also happen to the president. It's that the president's philosophy and worldview is that you should not even worry about it. And look, I went out and did it and got it. And now, by the way, by the way, I'm the expert on it. Right. And the narcissistic, you know, messianic complex that is on full display right now, that it is a blessing that I got it. Because now, now that I got it and got the best treatment that, you know, money can buy in America, you can trust me. I mean, it's so absurd on its face that I don't think you have to be. Um, pretty jacked up on Trump juice uh, to TM. not... Trump juice TM, <laughs> we're, because that we're will gonna... be part of the product line that we will see yeah. once the president is no longer in office. Yeah. Please don't drink this uh, until after November 3rd. Um, but, you know, how could you not see what it is on its face and then see the absurdity of his ridiculous attempt to, uh, you know, convert it into a positive spin. Uh, 
it it's really ridiculous. And like I said at the top, like to watch these other quote unquote reasonable Republicans like Marco Rubio and these other people complete you know continue to ally themselves with this. I think they are torching their political careers right now. I don't see how the people who have propped up this lunatic can have political careers after this election. I, you know, crazier things have happened, but everyone in Trump world has long said to me, President Trump is Teflon Don, right? Uh, he is rubber. Everyone else is glue. Mm-hmm. Nothing seems to stick to him, right? He can get away with anything, but the people around him are not right. That's why you've seen so many people who have worked for him end up in prison, right? There or end up completely fired with with no prospects. I mean, he has or tackled by the cops in their driveway, that's exactly shirtless right. with their fly down. And and the problem with with the fact that the president is Teflon Don is that people around him see that he can get away with everything and then they start to believe that they too can get away with everything. They don't want to pay their taxes, so they don't pay their taxes. They want to behave like complete maniac animals who do terrible things to their wives and drink like crazy and and, and behave like truly uncivilized criminals. Um, that doesn't work for them. So they get caught up in this environment where one person can get away with every single thing that that he does and and that doesn't extend to them so they're all going to end up like you know if you look at brad parscale uh you look at steve bannon and you know the sort of last chapter of all of these is these sort of dissolute kind of degenerate moments you know the end of the of a yet another bible story that gets cut from the bible because it's so absurd on its face nobody would believe it that Brad Parscale who was supposedly the genius uh you know digital genius who got him elected and who was going to do the same with his quote unquote death star um you know negative digital attack operation ends up being tackled by the cops while he's drunk and suicidal in his driveway I mean, this is where the pursuit of power and greed at all costs lands you in a book of tales for children about what not to do. (laughs) And the fact that these politicians like Marco Rubio, Mitch McConnell, all of the, the, you know, they don't see themselves as, um, you know, vulnerable or susceptible to that. Uh. Because the president has has not been vulnerable or susceptible to that. So that's like the problem is that the chickens come home to roost for everyone except President Trump. But they're given this false sense that they won't come home to roost for them because they haven't come for the president. So what will happen is potentially the president could walk away from all of this unscathed. I don't know that that will happen. Right. I don't know what will happen in November. If he wins reelect, then I guess you could say he got away with. A lot of stuff. If he doesn't win reelect, who knows what will happen to him when it comes to other investigations that are swirling. But what I can say with a lot more confidence is that there will be consequences to everyone else who stood by idly and said nothing or or 
even worse, who tried to capitalize off of their proximity to the kinds of ideals that President Trump has been holding up over the last five years. There will be consequences. I don't know if those consequences will extend to our president. This is Inside the Hive. I want to read you a headline from The Hive. You know, I scrolled, uh, I turned on The Hive this morning. The top headline at that moment was Eric Lutz's uh, column. Trump doesn't want to debate Biden unless he can infect him in person. It's a brilliant headline. We work with, we work with very talented people. <laughs> very talented people. The fact, I mean, this was his, his big announcement today and is at the top of the headlines as we speak. Again, after we record this, God knows uh, what the next shoe will be to have dropped. But um, it's so telling that he won't do a virtual debate because it's like, I'm P.T. Barnum. I can't perform without a big top, right? If I can't interrupt him and scream and storm all over him and potentially give him COVID-19, then why would I want to show up? You know, it's like uh, there's no... There's no show. He, there's no apprentice, right, uh, without somebody that I can yell at and fire. There's such a detachment, too, from from the rest of the world. Because, like, jo- Joe and I, as we record this, we're watching each other on Zoom. We would prefer to be in the same room together as we record this. I'm sure, Joe, your three daughters would be would prefer to be in a classroom rather than Zooming into school all day. I think that... My family members would prefer to do their meetings, not on Zoom. They would prefer to be in their offices. I would prefer to have my Shabbat dinners every Friday night, not on Zoom with my family. I'd prefer for them to be in person. But the president has no connection to what every single American is going going through right now, where their schools are virtual, their jobs are virtual, their families are virtual, their friends are virtual. He has no connection to that. So just now he's saying, well, I don't want to do that on Zoom. Do you know how crazy that sounds? Do you know how, how out of touch he sounds with the average American people? I don't think that that's going to sit well. No one likes doing Zoom, but this is the America that he's created. And he's just now confronting it for the first time. And he's confronting it poorly. I have some breaking news for you. Break uh, it. Our, our very own Gabe Sherman just sent me a um, a, uh, a text here, and it's a quote from Rush Limbaugh. So I want to get your, your reaction to this. Oh, quote, boy. I'm thrilled to announce that our commander-in-chief, Donald Trump, will be right here tomorrow hosting the largest virtual rally in radio history. Be sure to tune in. You don't want to miss this. It will be special. And I'm really looking forward to it. You know what my reaction, my my first blush reaction to that is? Please. please. Here is the preview of what's going to happen on November 4th. This is all President Trump wants. He doesn't care about being president. He cares about being a radio host, right? A, A Fox News, Rush Limbaugh, Trump News star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you could tell him today, you don't have to do the job of the presidency. You can just make a shitload of money only talking to the people who adore and love you 
for the rest of your life, he would choose that path over being commander in chief any day of the week. That's my thought, that this is a preview of the life Mm -hmm. that Trump wants to live post-presidency. And you're going to see it on full display. Rush Limbaugh handing him the baton. Um, What do they call the the ditto heads? Yes. Yes. Ditto heads. Um, Kind of an amazing thing when you think about it, because really you could trace the roots of the political world that we're living in today to the emergence of Rush Limbaugh in the Mm. early 90s when Clinton came into power. I remember, to speak of my dad again, he was an early adopter of Rush Limbaugh. I remember Mm. hearing that coming out of the radio in the early 90s, and this was the beginning of this. And, uh, you know, know, Rush Limbaugh tried to make it on TV before he made it on the radio. And this, you know, now it seems obvious, but the merger of our political life— with political media uh, has been utterly completed in Donald Trump. And so, yeah, perfectly logical conclusion. It feels like the, uh, the penultimate episode, right? There's like a a seed being planted for what you're going to see in the finale. Yeah. But it's just a little germ that, that we're getting a hint of right now. So I don't know where we're going to go next. I don't know where this week will lead us uh, by the time we talk to all of you next. Truly, who knows what what could happen. I don't think that either of us anticipated uh, that this week would bring what it had brought. Though, of course, we should have anticipated it. The fact that it took as long as it took for our president to come down with coronavirus is like, it's truly a wonder. And I guess... um, it's a nod to the fact that at least some people around him had been getting tested, though it, at, at present moment, it's unclear if the president had been testing. I know there was some reporting out there that he found it unpleasant and he trusted that if the people around him were getting tested, he didn't need to get tested. I think that that's a real window into our president's soul. Uh, but I want to know in this week of heightened anxiety, tension, work, existential dread... What is keeping you safe, sound, mentally stimulated otherwise? You know, I have uh, been listening to Joni Mitchell. Mm. I get into the Joni sphere. And when I'm in the Joni sphere, uh, it's a it's a like a a thick, warm sweater that what, I'm like, putting on. What kind of Joni are we talking? Well, I'm talking about um, blue. Mm. I'm talking about court and spark. Songs are like tattoos. For the roses. Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, when I put that stuff on, it really is like a, uh, you know, force field up, you know, shields up. And uh, it just feels like a, uh, a warm, a warm place. And one, uh, one other thing I'll say is this is a recommendation for oh. people in Radioland. Uh this new Thelonious Monk record that just came out, which was a rediscovered um, recording that he made in 1968. And uh, it's a beautiful record, but it has a wonderful story, which is that it was at a high school in Palo Alto. Uh, A young student there had invited him to the high school. Mm. Thelonious Monk, sadly and tragically, was hard up for money and and decided to do it. And they, the, the custodian... 
the African-American custodian at the high school, uh, was asked if he could, he was a piano player, asked if he could tune the piano. And he said, I will if you'll let me record it. Wow. And the album was recorded by the high school custodian at Palo Alto High. Wow. And it's a beautiful record, and it just has this fabulous story. And inside the vinyl version of this record is the original playbill from the high school reproduced with all the ads inside. So now you can go, go get groovy clothes at the Jelly Bean. <laughs> and just all these wonderful <laughs> things. And so, uh, you know, all the ways that we can escape the present moment. Um, I have been enjoying, uh, you know, music and uh, historical retroism. What a great little distraction. That's it's a great little distraction. So tell me about what's, uh, you know, in your in the Emmy sphere. Well, I've been watching a show that I think is really bad, but I can't stop watching it. <laughs> so I've been watching um well I don't want to say it's really bad. It's not great. I've been watching um Emily in Paris on Netflix, mm. which I've I know I've seeing reviews on Twitter. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think that on it it has divided the internet with people who love it or hate it. I think I'm someone who feels both of those things. I f- I find it comfortable that that it feels like so many other bad shows I've watched in the past in the past that it feels comfortably bad to me. So I can't recommend it to anybody really, unless you want something <laughs> that uh, will just captivate you and sort of it's pleasant. You know, bad TV is its own kind of pleasure. I don't think we should. Oh, I know. It. I, I like pretty much exclusively watch bad TV in my house. We are currently, uh, I watch Emily in Paris alone. Uh, that is, that is an alone show for me, but, but, we jointly watch um we're we've been going back through old seasons of Real Housewives of New York and the Whoa. early seasons of Million Dollar Listing. So so I know from bad TV, but Emily in Paris wow. is it's it's on the its own journey. You know, have you been to Paris, Emily? I have been. I have. You know Yeah, I mean that's just the when you just brought up the title, it just I know. Gave me a feeling of remembering travel. It kills you. We were supposed to go to Paris this past summer. Now we think maybe we'll be able to go on a honeymoon there. God, I hope that happens. I, I hope that, you know, that's the show I want to see is the Emily Jane Fox in Paris. I, I, I guarantee that's not the show you want to see. But, <laughs> but we will be back next week, not in Paris, in our Zoom room. Because unlike the president, we show up to Zoom even when it's not as pleasant as being in person with you. But we'll be back next week. Maybe we'll have a debate to talk about. Maybe we won't. But we will be here. But there's a 100% chance we will have something to talk about. That's exactly right. There's no shortage. Joe, this was fun as usual. Thank you for listening to our rambling and trying to make sense of the news I feel 48% better than when we started. I'll take it. I'll take it. Next week, we'll see you there. And that's it for our podcast this week. I'd like to thank my co-host, Emily Jane Fox. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find it all on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please, if you will, leave a review. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 and our producer, Bob Tabador. And thanks, of course, to our sponsors. Please support them 
the way they support this podcast. And we'll see you next week. The 2024 election means this year is going to be chock full of drama and nail-biting suspense. You deserve a politics and news podcast with expert analysis. No spin, no BS, just trusted journalists talking about what you need to know. I'm David Plotz, and each week on Slate's Political Gab Fest, I sit down with The New York Times' Emily Bazelon and CBS News' John Dickerson to do just that. Join us as we unpack the latest in politics, news, and the courts. Listen to the Political Gab Fest every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.